Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're specifically going to talk today about the guidelines. We did a show on the guidelines, actually a couple of them we have them recorded, uh, and uh, we'll be sharing them with you, but we're going to look at guidelines 11 through 20. But before we do, we'll give a quick overview of what these guidelines are. Again, they're trying to draw an image of Christ based on the way we see it for you, but we don't want you to follow us as if we're the source of that image. Otherwise, we get into this concept of idolatry, where we're creating an image of Christ in your mind. You need to do that examination yourself. You need to let God write upon your hearts and upon your minds. And we've talked about the spiritual constipation that is taking place in the world today where because men have accepted policies or denied certain precepts of God that they have become this spiritually constipated. They cannot have this Holy Spirit moving through them because they have accepted one element in their lives, and sometimes many elements, but at least one element in their lives that is contrary to the ways of, of Christ. You have to put on the full armor. You cannot have, I do this good thing, this good thing, this good thing, this good thing, but I don't, I do this bad thing over here, and that's okay. And the reality is everybody is doing that. They have an element of their lives. They say they have accepted Christ, but they didn't accept the whole thing. This is this is what the devil did in the beginning. He he recognized God. He accepted God was God, except for in one element, he wasn't going to do what God wanted him to do. He thought he could go out and have a better world by forcing people to do what is right his way. And of course that leads to all kinds of wickedness because you start down a path that is absent the character of God, absent the way of God. And that's what the devil, the devil wasn't trying to get Adam and Eve to do all kinds of things contrary to the ways of God, just trying to get them to do one thing, where they decided for themselves what was good and what was evil through their own knowledge through their own understanding and did not let God write his laws of life upon their hearts and upon their minds. They turned their back from that and tried to go their own way. That way may have been very much like God's way, but it wasn't completely like God's way. And so it was no longer God's way. If you if you remove one aspect of God's character, it's not God's character anymore. It's something less. And so by policy, that evil wants you to have some character of your life that is not like God, not according to his way, not according to his spirit. And then there is no God in your life. There is no God of heaven that is a part of your life. Now, you can delude yourself with emotion and all kinds of philosophies and ideologies that you're still following Christ, but by policy, you're actually doing contrary to the ways of Christ, which makes you antichrist. And this is this is the policy of praying to men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. And the early church, the apostles were told by Christ, when they were appointed the kingdom by Christ, that you were not to be like the princes of the Gentiles who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority one over the other. In other words, they were to be benefactors of the people who did not exercise authority one over the other. And the only way they could do that 
is instead of taxing the people, the people gave them the funds necessary to take care of the needs of that society. In other words, that society operated on faith, hope, and charity, and the society of the world, the world of Rome, the world of the Pharisees, the Corbin of the Pharisees, that operated by forcing the people to contribute to their welfare. That was a socialist state based on men who exercise authority, while the church is a socialist state based on men who don't exercise authority. In other words, it's socialism by faith, hope, and charity, rather than socialism by force, fear, and compliance. Since it's faith, hope, and charity, there are no entitlements. There are no guarantees. That's where faith and hope come in. But there are benefits. That's where charity comes in. And that changes the nature of society. So how do you create such a society? People need to know the structure of such a society. Well, it's very simple. All governments are created by men. Men sit down in rooms and in tents and in uh, gatherings around the fire, and they say, can we all agree that we're going to do things this way or that way? And they may write it down on stone, they may write it down on paper, and then they put their hand to it, and knowing that they swear to this, commit to this, they give their allegiance to this idea of doing things in a particular way, they have created government. They may give power to individuals. You can now uh, tell me when we go to war. Now, you've given him the power to tell you when to go to war. Maybe you say, I will give you power to lead us. If we need to go to war, check with me if you think we need to go to war. If I don't think we do, then I won't give you the power to lead me. So there's levels to this. If you say that we're going to give you the authority to take care of the needy, but we're not going to give you the authority to extract from us the money that you need to take care of the needy, we'll decide to give you that money when you tell us what you need. And we'll say, I think you need that, or I think you don't need that. That's a different kind of government. Most governments today operate, you elect somebody, he goes house to house and forces you to contribute. That's the way it works. And he not only can do that, he can change the amount you have to contribute. He has tremendous power. That's a centralized authority in government. That's not a republic. That's a democracy. It may be an indirect democracy, but it's not a republic. In a republic, you're free from things public. Well, the church in early America were called embryonic republics. And that was the church in early America, which was a lot different than many of the churches you saw over in Europe. But they had the right to decide what they would give to their ministers to take care of the needy of their society. And it worked. And it worked really well. And it actually caused the society to prosper. That is also the way the early church operated. And even with the occasional persecution through the first few centuries and the terrible difficulties that took place as Rome declined, uh, runaway inflation, shortages of food, attacks from uh, terrorists, or they call them barbarians in those days, from up north, uh, always saying, well, we need a bigger army to protect you from these terrible terrorist barbarians, and such and such uh, came down every day to the people. Disease became rampant at times. Uh, social services decreased. Uh, they had the total uh, universal health care in Rome there for a while, and they had to stop it because they couldn't afford it uh, as inflation began to rise. And the reason they had inflation is they took all the silver out of the coin and eventually all the gold out of the Roman coin and they tried to enforce price controls, etc., etc. So that's the nature of that government, and that is the direction it goes. What the Christians were doing was completely different. They met every Sunday and decided who needed what and those who had shared with those who didn't have. And they explained this way back in 150 A.D., and that's how they handed out their benefits in church congregations all over the known world, in Rome, out of Rome, even up there where those barbarians live, because many of them are becoming Christians. And 
this was creating a different kind of society, a healthier society, a stronger society. And even though Christians were only about 5% of the Roman Empire, by 300 A.D., they Romans were trying to emulate Christianity. They were trying to do what Christians were doing, and they started putting on a lot of the uh, characteristics of the Christians, but not all, because their form of Christianity did not require that you repent and get baptized, just that you get baptized. Repenting from what? Repenting from the Corban of the Pharisees. Now, the Corban of the Pharisees was the sacrifice given by everybody in and everybody had to pay in according to their means, and it was enforced by statute, and it took care of the needy and widows and orphans of their society. It was not pure religion. It was religion by the state, and that's the way most people have gone, most churches have gone today, and that has caused the Holy Spirit to leave those churches. Now, there's still spirits there, but they are not the Holy Spirit, and they can still sometimes cure, they can even perform miracles, and occasionally you may even get a miracle because somebody in that church is actually closer to Christ than you realize. But by policy, they say it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through the agency of your government. And it is not. That is not according to the ways of Christ. That is the Corban of the Pharisees that made the word of God to none effect. So in order to start a church, what you need is two or more people to sit down around that campfire and say, you know, let's do things different. In our little society, we're going to do things different. We're going to live by faith, hope, and charity, or at least we're going to start working in that direction. We're going to start repenting. We're going to start turning around. And so two people elect a third person as a minister, and they bear witness to that by two or more people, all things are established. And you have just established the church uh, of Jesus Christ, or at least you've established that you're a part of that church by that witness. And then you start to operate accordingly. And what you do is you, you give a little money to that minister so that he can go out there and find uh, eight other people. So that's your, that's your contributions to the mission, because he's not only your minister, he's also going to be your missionary to find eight other people, eight other families like your own, that want to live by faith, hope, and charity. And he will use that money to do that, because he's going to have to take time away from his work day to do that, and so therefore he's not going to be able to earn as much, so you're going to help him out so that he can find those other eight people, and he's going to go out and work and find those other eight people. When they come in, first you get three, four, five, six other families, now you actually have to continue to contribute, because one of those families... The father fell off a ladder and lost his job, and you have to help him. So you help all those families out or their needs out, too, and you do that to your minister. And your contributions are tax-deductible in most countries because you're giving to the poor, and you're doing it through the church, and that's accepted. That's not a benefit. That's a reality. The reason you give, you pay your taxes is to take care of those needs in your society. The church is taking care of those needs for you, so it takes the burden off of the government, so therefore, presto bingo, you get to deduct that from your taxes. It hasn't changed your status, but it's changed the direction of your life. It's kind of like you're out there in deep water and you're drowning, and you suddenly decide, I'm going to get to the shore. I'm going to get to dry land. And you turn around and you start swimming towards the dry land. You're not dry yet. There's no reason to throw you a towel. You're still in the water but you're working your way back to the shallow end where you can start to walk and stand up and then wade out of there, and then we'll throw you a towel and dry you off, and you can live on dry land again. So it's a process. You're not ready for dry land. You haven't even gotten near it yet. So you have to turn around and swim back. So that's what the church is. It's a group of people who decided to govern themselves in another way, a way closer to the precepts of God, walking in the paths of Christ, walking in the paths that he laid down for his church. And you have said that we're going to form this other form of government. That's what the church is. It's one form of government. And it's a form of government based on faith, hope, and charity, which is love. 
So we wrote down guidelines so that people could kind of get an image and a picture of what the church looks like, not to create that image in you so that you worship these guidelines. That's why they're guidelines and not laws. They're showing you the way to the laws of God. And we had one that the church is, uh, and Sacred Purpose Trust is an irrevocable ministerial charitable altar. Uh, the grantor of the Sacred Purpose Trust are the people who grant tangible and intangible property to his church for the conversion of its use to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the beneficiary. The people of the congregation, because Christ said, feed my sheep, are the representative beneficiaries. If you can't give the money or the value to Christ himself because he's not there, feed his sheep, and that will be as if giving to him. And so the first ten uh, precepts that we're describing in these uh, guidelines of the church is setting the scene of Christ as the owner of the church when you give money or a value uh, to the pastor, to the minister of the church that you have elected him. It's his to do with. You don't put that money in a, in a deposit and then join the board and then tell him how he can spend it. You actually have to let go and give it to him. You're putting that offering on the altar of stone, and he is the stone of your altar. And he receives that, and he does accordingly with it. You have to give it up. That's very important. And we talked about all that before, why that is, why. If you don't, if you still have control over the object, it's not a burnt offering, it's not given up entirely. If you still have control over the object as a collective, as a board of directors, you're an unincorporated association, that's going to be treated as a corporation. And if anybody is a member of the state in any way, shape, or form in your congregation in that unincorporated association, then everybody can be held responsible for the actions. And if you sued one guy, you could sue everybody, which means you could actually access those funds that you gave supposedly to Christ. And they would do that because you haven't really given it to Christ. You're still in control. You have cast your bread upon the waters, but you've got a string tied around it because you really aren't living by faith. You have to create this living by faith. Freely give. If you still have control, you haven't freely given. You haven't completely given. It's not a burnt offering. You are violating the precepts of the altars of Abraham, Moses, and Jesus Christ. So that's a big jump for most people in churches because they don't want to give up entirely. There's always some people in those churches that actually do give up entirely, and they are very close to the ways of Christ. But there's always somebody who wants to be on the board of directors and still control the funds because they don't want to let go. They don't really trust their minister. They want to hire a minister, and he's just hired by them. Now, truly in a true congregation, that is somewhat true. You only have ten families in a normal church congregation. That's the way it was in the beginning. That's the way it was even before Christ. And those ten families pick one minister, but he's health, education, and welfare. They still have all the power over all the money in their pocket. They still have the power over their lives, over their children's lives, and they make the decisions accordingly as a family. But when they give to Christ, they give up entirely, and they let go of that offering. And they they maintain the right to decide whether I'm going to give to this minister next week or not, and that is where their power is. They do exercise an influence over the minister. Now, the minister must really follow Christ. If he's looking well, you know, if he's got ten very wealthy people that is in his congregation, and he's, well, I don't want to upset this guy because he's the biggest contributor, so I will do things according to his way. That That's a real thing that happens in churches, that somebody is catering to the wealthy guy because he gives the biggest contribution, and we have to guard against that and the other nine members of the congregation need to say why are you listening to him because he has more money if you're doing that then we don't believe you're listening to Christ we don't believe you're a minister of Christ and we're not going to give you and you're going to have a congregation of one rich guy and see how you like that we're going to go pick another minister there's your power you can change your government anytime you want and you have the responsibility to guard and rebuke that minister if you find him doing that
So in order to get to some of these guidelines, we're going to start right off on number 11, His Church and Sacred Purpose Trust. Now, this concept of trust, you know, when you drop a letter in the mailbox, that's a trust. When you give something to that minister, it's a trust, but it's a sacred purpose trust, and the overseer of that trust is the Holy Spirit. And you may pick somebody who you believe is filled with the Holy Spirit to oversee that, and if you don't, the world will come in and say, we're the overseers of that trust. It must be a sacred, separate purpose trust than that of the world and the governments of the world and the state. Christ is the overseer. This is the government of God. It's not the government of the world. And in order to keep it that way, you have to have that completely free will offering that is completely given up. But anyway, it's a it's a trust, but it's a trust in God. It's sacred. It's separate from any other statutory trust. It's not an investment trust, and its purpose is to serve rather than be served. This includes, but is not limited to, his church does not uh, seek to collect interest, to, to engage in commercial enterprises, to obtain gain, to speculate value fluctuations for profit, nor to hoard a great treasury of wealth of the world, but rather to return every man unto his possessions, and shall return every man unto his family, for it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that, it's a little bit sermonizing in there, but basically the idea is this is a sacred purpose trust, again, for the purposes of Christ and it is not going to engage in certain activities that would be contrary to the ways of Christ. And we see those repeated over and over again in the Old and New Testament, you know, this idea of usury. Uh, what belongs to the people belongs to the people. What belongs to the church belongs to the church. And when I say belongs to the church, the church must belong to Christ. It cannot belong to another state. It can't be a state church. It can't be a corporation of anybody else other than a corporation of Christ. The ministers, uh, which we'll have to get into later, can have a number of different statuses, but when they're operating as a minister, they are operating as a minister of Christ only. They are not operating in their own interest. The ministers of a trust is not allowed to derive any personal benefit from his church altar, but they may pay for general and specific expenses incurred in the performance of their duties from the general fund of the altar. Uh, this gets into a lot of legal uh, concepts that uh, a minister who is this licensed minister, licensed by the people to be their minister because the people recognize him as a minister of Christ by this original document that they individually signed, two or more began the congregation, but then three, four, five may sign this document saying we recognize this minister as a minister of Christ. That minister is may have other obligations to the world. He is not completely separate, but he is on the path to following the ways of Christ. And so that has to be handled very specifically and very technically. And we will talk about that at another time. But that is to understand that there's been levels to get closer and closer to the kingdom of God and the church and what we really should be. Pledge allegiance to the King of Kings and to his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One holy nation and our heavenly Father, grace, mercy, justice for all. Since the beginning of time, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, it has been traded, it has been borrowed, it has been purchased, it has been stolen, there's a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188 or visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net. 
Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, and regular guest, world-renowned economist Robert Chapman, right here on FirstAmendmentRadio.com at 4 p.m. Eastern or 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. Toll-free, 1-800-375-4188. Now listen to me. The Bible says, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar's. Government Takeover of the Church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD, Government Takeover of the Church. Order online today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com or call 559-781-3773. Who will tell them if not you? Have you seen Loose Change? The most popular documentary in the 911 Truth Movement. With the coming change in government, now is the time to push for justice and get this truth into the hands of millions of Americans. First Amendment Radio is offering both videos, Loose Change and 911 Justice on DVD. We will ship two copies of both videos to you for 10 bucks cash. Yes, two copies, one for you and one for you to give away. You will see and hear Larry Silverstein admit that they decided to pull the building. Why are they not being pursued? The people must know. Justice must be had. The time is now. Two copies of both videos, Loose Change and 911 Justice, for 10 bucks cash. No checks, please. To First Amendment Radio, 139 East to Larry Avenue, to Larry, California, 93274. <music> Right after the show, we're going to talk on TalkShoe. The information about how to get on to TalkShoe is in the uh, Living Network. There's contact ministers in many of the states and different countries that will tell you how to get on TalkShoe so that you can ask questions about all this. Because it's, it's a little complex because you're not used to it. It's no more difficult than riding a bike. Once you get the hang of it, you'll be off and running. This number 12 where it says the minister of the trust can't be personally deriving gain or uh, benefit from the monies that are given to Christ can pay his expenses, but he may have other contractual obligations with other realms and other governments where he has to uh, give a portion of his income uh, or gain to them, and it's called income or gain because he's already waived a right to his labor, and now he wants to labor for Christ. And you can't serve two masters, so he cannot serve Christ with his uh, labor that earns him his living, but he can donate his time to Christ. Now, he can go to a status where he waives any right to personal gain, and this is what Christ was doing. You have to remember... Uh, you may have to know, not even remember, but you should know that at the time of Christ, everybody had entered into a similar contract with the Pharisees whereby their labor belonged to the government or a portion of it. And they could come and take a portion of your labor in the form of a grain or whatever it is that you produced, and that filled the coffers of the treasury, the gastropone of the temple and the government. And it was in that treasury that Christ was in there instructing the ministers. It was in that treasury where Christ began to give orders and commands that vessels were not to be uh, taken about, whatever those vessels were, which is another subject. Uh, But the fact is he was king, and he was now saying, no, you're not going to take forced contributions. You're not going to be extracting this Corbin 
from people because it's making the word of God to none effect. You're going to be bound by faith, hope, and charity. And that's the kind of king he was. He was not going to, as Saul did, foolishly force the sacrifices to the people because his kingdom will stand as long as his people live that way. So if a minister waives all his rights within a particular society and becomes that minister in Christ's society only, then he can draw from those funds for his personal support. Now, if he draws from those funds before he does that, he may have a tax obligation, and he will need to pay that. And there are ways in which to set it up so that you can do that, and those are more complex, and we can't get into those. But we've explored all this in great detail. We've had this researched in great detail. But you have to tend to those details and not shine it on, thinking, well, I'm just going to do it. Because you may have obligations that you have to keep. You may have to go down and get some coins out of a fish's mouth and pay Caesar because you've already said you would, and you can't just undo that. You may owe the pharaoh. You cannot just stop paying your tally of bricks. You may have to meet that obligation until a day comes where he says, okay, you're free. And that day will come. But unfortunately, when that day comes, there may be famine in the land. So you need to be walking. And this is why we can set the church up on many different levels according to where you're at. And, you know, you may have to still swim until you get into the shallower end. <laughs> but you have to move along this this uh, pattern of righteousness. And our righteousness has to exceed theirs. They make mistakes, but we do what's right. So 13 says the grantor of his church sacred trust do not have control over the distribution of the funds. In other words, the people of the congregation who give the money, they don't have control. We talked about that. Very simple concept. It's repeated several times in different ways within these few guidelines. But it's very important that you, when you give it up, you give it up entirely. Because if you don't, then anyone who claims to be your master can come in and regulate those funds on your behalf, whether you like it or not. And that does not keep your church free. The value of property held by his church altar are held in common to be used as needed for the benefits of Jesus Christ and the preservation and propagation of his doctrines, ordinances, including, but not limited to, the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God on earth and the healing of those who are not whole according to the perfect law of liberty. Now, the healing of those who are not whole, if you're not in possession of all your rights, you're, you need some healing. You need to be back in possession of all your rights. In other words, return every man to his possessions or return every man to his family. So that's part of that as well as an actual physical healing and a spiritual healing that takes place when you start walking in the ways of God by policy in every aspect of your life. But at the beginning of that statement, uh, we talked about uh, this holding all things in common. It was only the church ministers that held all things in common. And uh, that was because the church ministers were a body in one accord. Now, in that body, they could not exercise authority one over the other. They could not chisel the stones of the altar, and the, each man is a living stone of the altar. So when you give something to a particular minister, he does not have to share that with any of the other ministers, except according to the discretion and guidance of the Holy Spirit in himself. There is no authority within the church that can come to another pastor or minister and say, you have to give me this, that, or, you know, you can't impose the taxes on the other churches and the other ministers. But what it means is that if that minister were to suddenly die, anything that was his possession would fall into the hands of the overseer for redistribution. And we cover that in both these guidelines and the administrative guidelines where he cannot hold that for his own profit. He needs to redistribute that to the next minister. And it's, so there's a commonwealth. We use that word commonwealth. Most people don't understand it. What it means is that you may die out, your family may die out, and so that there is no one to inherit your possession. Now it falls into the hands of the body of the community that is the commonwealth. Now, communism is a commonwealth, too. 
but they can actually come in and take stuff away from you anytime they want. Uh, democracies are commonwealth. The majority of the people can take away from the minority. But in a true republic, the commonwealth cannot take anything away from you unless you and all your descendants are gone. If there's inheritance tax in the government where you live, where if you die and your children must pay a tax to receive what you have given, uh, what you have produced, you're not in a free government. You're in one of these commonwealths where they get to take, you know, they can rob widows and orphans. You know, they call it tax, but they can do that, and it's legal, but it's not in accordance with the ways of God. It's the ways of thievery, because the ways of God is the possession belongs to the family, and when the father dies, all the possessions pass unhindered, unhindered, down to his sons and daughters according to his will. If it is taxed at all, you are not in a free society. You are not in a government under God. You have other gods who are going to take from you. And you have gone away from, by policy, the ways of God, and you are not walking with Christ anymore. You are walking with someone else. And some other spirit will protect you in your time of need because God will not hear you in that day. So anyway, but the church, the ministers who've given up any personal estate and actually become the bond servants of God, they hold all things in common. But their spirit, again, is the spirit of Christ, and so they will not covet one another's goods at all either. And they will not chisel the stones that are next to them. They will allow them to make the decision so that if, a, if an overseer... Uh, is taking care as minister of uh, five or six or ten other ministers, and they receive contributions, a portion of their contribution should go up to that overseer, but it will be up to them to make that decision. It's always we are about empowering the individual, the individual in congregation and the individual who is a minister. So the value of property held by his church altars are held in common in the sense that if that minister dies, it doesn't go to the state, it goes to the other ministers, and it will be distributed accordingly by the overseer. He could prearrange to have it distributed to somebody else. His son comes up and is well uh, learned in the ways of Christ, and he may say, you know, if I die, this is the one who is to follow after me. And that, of course, is what John the Baptist was saying, thinking that Jesus would follow after him as a Levi priest, which is what John the Baptist was. And he says, this is the one to follow me. He didn't know yet that Jesus was going to be king, both priest and king. He just wanted Jesus to follow after him because he, he didn't see anybody better. Uh, he, he, Jesus was better than him as far as he was concerned. So he was actually baptizing him, and in that baptism, was sanctioning that if I were to die and you, someone were to behead me, Christ would take my place. And Christ did take his place, but he also became king, priest and king. Number 15, the minister of trust shall make every reasonable effort to comply with those specific or general requests concerning the direction of a contribution as long as they are in conformance with receiving, preserving, and propagating his doctrines and ordinances. And with this in mind, the ministers of trust does have final discretion in the distribution of funds. Again, exactly what I said. If he doesn't have final distribution uh, decision-making power, somebody's chiseling that stone. Somebody is exercising authority and shaping that stone according to their will. And that cannot be that it that defiles the whole altar. So, But it doesn't mean that when somebody gives them money and say, hey, you know, I'd like to see this go to the widow, he should consider that very strongly, that that is the wish of this individual. But he has ultimate decision-making authority over those funds. And no one can say, well, I wanted to go to the widow, and he didn't give it to the widow. Well, you can say that, but he hasn't done any wrong by doing that. But if you don't like the way he's handling money, don't give next time. You know, don't cast your bread on his water. Don't put your offering on him as an altar. And between the morality of your heart that is put in there by God and the morality of his heart that is put in there by God, iron sharpens iron. 
but not by exercising authority one over the other. Number 16, a minister of trust is to keep records and make those records available to all other ministers of trust and the protectors of the trust upon demand and shall inform the elders of the congregation of the work he is doing in the distribution of funds and property upon request. In other words, if he is given money to give to that widow and he doesn't give it to that widow, he gives it over here to this widow or, or, or spends it over here, and they say, well, where did the funds go that we gave? You need to be open and clearly giving an answer as to where those funds go. And that should be a matter of record amongst you. Uh, the elders of the church are the board of their own direction. They don't have any uh, communal power to direct, but they have a right to know what happened. Now, how specific are those records? Well, they have to be pretty open. You don't have the altars of God in darkness. You don't put your candle under a bushel basket. You, When you burn up those offerings, everybody gets to see it out in the open. We get to see where the smoke goes, where the ashes go, and it's visible. And the record should give enough visibility so that we know that you're not just lining your pockets and planning on retiring somewhere on uh, in the Bahamas or, uh, uh, you know, running off to uh, Rio de Janeiro or something. So... The church is open in that sense amongst its congregations. Can some other government come in and, and seize those uh, records? Well, technically, if your church is organized, that's not very easy to do. Uh, if your church is not organized properly and you have asked some other agency of some other government to be the overseer of your church by filing forms to determine the existence of yourself as a church through... Uh, getting a letter of state determination from another agency, that agency now has got power to check your records to see if you really are a church. And they can just come in and do that. We technically can do that if you apply to us for a letter of determination. We just don't kick in your door. If we come and we say, hey, we need to see the records and you don't give the records, then we withdraw our letter of determination. We don't exercise authority. This is, has to be by mutual cooperation. You think about that. If, if you go to another agency, they can kick in your door if you don't give them the records. You go to us, we can't kick in your door, but we can withdraw that recognition. And that's why we come to number 17 here, which says, uh, the protector may terminate a minister for breach of trust, refusing or failing to produce records in a timely fashion, moral turpitude, or any other reason in accordance with his good God-given conscience and the doctrines of the beneficiary, who is who? Christ. In other words, the overseer is the minister of the minister. He is uh, chosen by that minister at the time he is recognized by the people. And if you don't have that man as an overseer, then some other government will step in and be your overseer. So you have a choice to pick an overseer who exercises authority, one over the other, or a overseer who does not exercise authority, one over the other. But neither do you have the right to exercise authority over that minister and say, well, you can't get records. You can't see what I'm doing. I am going to keep you, what I do, hidden from you. That's absurd. That's insane. And he cannot be an overseer if you don't let him see. He cannot be what they call in the Greek uh, an episkopos, which we translate as bishop, which actually means overseer. We also translate it overseer. He is the overseer because he is the minister. He is responsible for your soul. He needs to see what you're doing. If you hide what you're doing from him, he, he's not the overseer, and, and you're just doing these things in word, and it's a lie. And so he has a duty and an obligation uh, to terminate uh, anybody who says he's a minister, has chosen him, you know, this man to be your overseer. Now, if you don't want him to be the overseer, don't show him the records anymore, and he will withdraw his overseership, and you can go to another minister. 
and make him the overseer. But you have to do that openly and above board so that other, uh, you know, other uh, people of the church can see what's going on. Now, if you're holding property, that becomes a little bit more complicated, and there are things you must do to protect that, but it's the same precept that applies. 18. A minister of the trust may appeal termination to another assigned protector of his church trust and then to his holy church with members of the congregation as a witness. Now, this could create schisms that has in the past, and that's exactly what I said originally, is that if if one overseer says, you know, I'm going to withdraw recognition, I don't recognize you as a minister, you can get together with another body and, and set up the same precept with another overseer and, and turn to him. And now you, you're going to be bringing it before the whole church because the overseer you used to have, he's going to get together with some of his people and the overseer you now have, he's going to get together too and they're going to decide what is right and what is fair. Obviously, if people are not going to decide what is right and what is fair, they're going to go off. But I, I warn individuals who may find themselves in this situation, you better pick somebody as your overseer. You better follow these structural patterns, or you won't have a leg to stand on when the world comes. You will you'll go cry out to the gods that you have chosen, which are none, and uh, God the Father will not hear you in that day. God does not create a random, uh, insignificant organization that just does whatever it wants, whenever it wants. It does what Christ wants, what God wants. And God has always created a body of believers and organized them in particular fashion. Their real power, if they uh, remain true to God, is in the Spirit, and they know that. But there is still structure. There's still five fingers on one hand, five fingers on the other, and there's bones and there is structure. And, and you see this in Ezekiel talking about dry bones and bringing flesh on them and breathing life into them. It's that, you know, the dry bones and the flesh are nothing without the life of God breathed into them. But if you don't even have a body of men who come together in faith, hope, and charity and following these precepts of Christ, you're not going to have the breath of God in you. You're going to have superstition. You're going to have people saying, you know, magic words, and and they're going to be deluded again in these false religions that have pervasively destroyed mankind time and time again. Beware of the rebel. Uh, the true followers of Christ are not rebels. They may be counted amongst the rebels, but they are conformists. They are conformists to the Holy Spirit of God. 19. A minister of trust may tend his resignation for any reason, preferably with notice to the other ministers of trust of his church altar and protection. That's a very simple concept. You don't want to be a minister anymore. You need to tend to your resignation. You can't take the money that has been given to you for the purposes of the church. That needs to go to the next minister who is uh, comes into that place. Uh, but you you have resigned that particular position. And you should do it openly because people may still be sending you contributions thinking you're still a part of the whole church. And you're not. You're not in that commonwealth of the church. You've, dis you've resigned. You've gone off to do your own thing. Now, the unique things about the, the government of God is that you can go off and do your own thing. Nobody's getting, you're not bound except by love and charity and forgiveness and thanksgiving and all these wonderful things that God has put in our hearts to begin with that come from the heart of God. You can go. Most other governments, you can't go. That's why you got Moses saying, let my people go, and Pharaoh saying no. And that's pretty much where people are everywhere in the world today, that the government's not going to let you go. Now, things are going to get so bad, I tell you, they will say, Go. But when they go, most people are not going to want to go <laughs> because it will be too frightening. But if you begin to walk in faith and hope and charity, courage will begin to grow in you. When the storm was all around on the ship with the apostles, they were all afraid, and Jesus just sleeping away. And then he, they wake him up, and he says, what, the, what are you guys so afraid of? Have you no faith? And, of course, they have to. If a particular sacred altar and its 
accounts can no longer be maintained or needs uh, to be maintained, then the altar is to be dissolved and the corpus of the altar is to be distributed amongst the stewardships of his church or to the poor at large or consecrated to the beneficiary of the altar himself. Uh, in other words, it should go laterally. It should never go back up to the overseer. And that is the way we do it. And that's all 20. And, and a person can read this over and over again. Every time you do and you start applying it in real life, you start seeing the wondrous uh, nature of his church, uh, which he created. These are, he, these are all precepts based on both Old and New Testament put together. And new light is given to us when we begin to understand what Abraham was doing, what Moses was doing. They were creating governments. They were creating governments by the consent of the people. Governments that did not exercise authority one over the other. Governments where men were not the property of the state, but they were free souls under God. Each man was empowered to make certain choices and decisions. Everything that a man owned belonged to him. His family belonged to him. And when he gave something to God, he handed it over to a man he believed was of God, and he gave it entirely. And that man used it wisely according to the ways of God with faith, hope, and charity. And all men gathered together in one body, tending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. In one form of government, that was in accord and walking in the ways of Christ. Most governments of the world today are walking in the ways of Nimrod, of Cain, of Pharaoh, and of the uh, evil Caesars that came to rise up in power over men. We need to get back to walking with Christ in every aspect of our life, not just for an hour or two on Sunday or Sabbath, but in every aspect of our lives, in faith, in hope, and in charity. Until we meet again, may peace be upon you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.